Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I'm engineer and musician Ali Jafar, stationed in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow musician James Woodard, all the way from San Antonio, Texas. Today we're talking about the Resident Evil 2 remake, as well as the series' bizarre development history. Along the way, we detour into old RPGs, Sega Genesis soundtracks, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Because we're both musicians, which means we both might be stupid. Hey, maybe that's what the title means. You don't know. And there's only one way for you, the listener, to find out. I'm using this Russian keyboard, so I have to like make sure I hit the right keys. <laughs> you love that shit. I'm like a, uh, a keyboard weeb. Do they have those? Yeah. A keyboard. You don't know those languages, right? Or do you? Oh, totally not. Oh, okay, it's just cool. like, it looks cool. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's funny is that when I was growing up, we had an Arabic keyboard, but... Oh, w- see, I would be like way fucking into that, dude. Well, the thing about it was that everyone was like, oh man, that looks sick. But the problem was that it, it wasn't actually the keys. It was just a sticker, like a decal you'd put over the English keys. Oh. So it got immediately fucking grody as hell and nasty. But um, <laughs> it, Well, how does that work? Are there like more or less like characters in the Arabic language than in English? There's about the same amount of characters. Oh, okay. Um, so it ports over pretty well. That's pretty lucky, then. I never got the hang of <laughs> typing, though, because there's some nuance to Arabic that would make typing almost like its own thing, you know, <laughs> as opposed to just writing it. Because writing it's really easy because there's just certain rules to, like, because letters connect, you know? Right, um, yeah. That's like cursive Yeah, so it's kind of like halfway between, you know, cursive and maybe something more complicated because you know there's languages where it's like oh like this symbol means like multiple letters it's not like that it's still phonetic but the letters connect Mm. and there's rules about that so when i was typing i was like i don't get how to tell the goddamn windows 98 to fucking (laughs) connect you know like not connect these two but connect this so you would just write gobbledygook and it would be all wrong and you're like well i don't care well that's weird yeah yeah it's it's a bit of fun though i guess you know, <laughs> the keyboard looks kind of cool. I mean, the keyboard looked dope before my nasty fucking eleven-year-old Cheeto fingers got it all fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah, like I know where the key. I don't have to look at the keyboard, so I don't, it doesn't matter what language it's in. I mean, I just my yeah. fingers know where to pr- press the buttons. I'm like that until I start to think about that, and then yeah. I'm like, oh man, wait, or, what? Or until like I get the password wrong once. Yeah. <laughs> and then I get it wrong 12 times because I'm like overthinking it. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I still, and you know, the funny thing is like there's a bunch of, like in Pro Tools, uh, there's a bunch of F you know, shortcuts, you know? And right. like I still, every once in a while, will just go up for the fucking F6 and just hit something totally different. And it's like, oh, <laughs> man, all right, man, you want to check this out? I was like, no, no Pro Tools. <laughs> Some like forbidden zone that you've never used. Yeah, it's like, dude, I don't quantize shit. I record every record like it's Black Sabbath. Like, no. (laughs) Close this window now. So anyway, uh, we are here on this occasion, Mm -hmm. uh, swept up in the hype of Resident Evil 2, whose remake just recently was released. 
Absolutely. That's accurate to say all that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Easy 10. (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to talk a lot of shit. Like, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing, too. The more I thought about really every game in the Resident Evil series, it's like I could talk shit for days, but it's definitely all out of love. But, well, so, like, they're so video gamey, right? And, like, so much of it, like, makes no fucking sense. But it, like, gestalts into, like, this charm. You know what I mean? And it just fucking works. Well, you know, some of them work. Some but. of them work. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's a great segue into what I want to talk about, at least in the beginning of this, which is that I feel like Resident Evil as a whole, the series, is some sort of high-level game design garbage. Like... It has all of these insane ideas that are so, like, only a game designer who is really obsessed with craft would come up with. And they're so far down the rabbit hole that they often (laughs) don't work or just don't make any sense. You would be remiss not, like, thinking of 90s PC adventure games and things like that. Mm -hmm. And their, like, weird fucked up logic and their weird, like, puzzle solutions. Because those have to be, like, direct influences to Resident Evil 1. I mean, even just, like, Alone in the Dark and, like, all the LucasArts adventure games, like Maniac Mm -hmm. Mansion, etc., well, like, and, and that's, I mean, and that's clear is that it, you know, survival horror as a genre, which was kickstarted by Resident Evil. Um, you, you can obviously sure. argue about what's the first whatever for days, but it's, it's definitely, oh, yeah. yeah, it's where the term came from. It's what put it on the map for a lot of people. And it's definitely an outgrowth of adventure games. There's no question at all. Yeah. Um, uh, that, and mm, I think a little bit maybe of the graphic adventure in terms of like those text heavy um, comic style graphic adventures that were like so popular in Japan. Right. I think there's a lot of that too. Right. And what, you know, Resident Evil brought to the table that was different really in my mind is that it just had these, all of these bananas ideas and these game designers who, like I said, were just so they had their heads so deep in the craft that they just came up with all this crazy bullshit um, so uh, to talk, you know, to talk a little bit about the series as a whole, I wanted to frame it as this discussion of just how weird the development of all these games are and like how right. weird these games are and how fucking weird Shinji Mikami is like, what a fucking weirdo, um, <laughs> Shinji Mikami, who is like such a badass that like when the first kingdom hearts came out, he would just like, was like, you know what I'm going to do? Talk constant shit. And I'm super happy that that's been coming back into the news with like a new Kingdom Hearts. Is that like this oh, clip, yeah. clip of like, yeah. oh, remember when Shinji Mikami just was like, let me talk shit. Like, <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I, I don't know how you feel about Kingdom Hearts, but it it's it's awful. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking um, hate it. <laughs> well, Disney is is racist, uh, colonialist garbage. And so I just can't fucking touch it with a 10 foot pole. I get that a lot of people like it. And now there's this whole discourse about it being like this way that people have explored, you know, their own uh, sort of identities, whether that's sexually or whatever. And that's all cool. But like for me as like a not white, I just can't fucking do it, man. Like Aladdin. My name is Ali fucking Jafar. Like, how do you. So you're like the goodbye guy and the bad guy from Aladdin. Yeah. Right. How do you think I feel about that fucking movie? And they're going to drag it out (laughs) of the fucking crypt with Will Smith, like Blue Man Group. Man, I can't get started on this. I have to stop. Anyway, (laughs) 
<laughs> I have a real soft I have a real soft spot in my heart specifically for the shit that Shinji Mikami talked so <laughs> like r- relentlessly about Kingdom Hearts. I just think that's awesome. Absolutely. Um well so the series started uh as a sort of remake reimagining of Sweet Home. Yeah, for sure. Which is an NES horror RPG game. Yeah. Yeah. Um based on the horror movie of the same name. Um, inventory management. <laughs> it's yeah. the uh, prototype inventory management simulator. Oh, yeah. Like, Sweet Home and Link's Awakening are, like, inventory management, high-level, the game, XX Plus, oh, yeah. you know, versus Edition 31. Um, yeah. But have you, have you played Sweet Home? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. God, probably, like, five or six years I went through it all on an emulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. A, yeah, me too. I played that fan translation. Yeah, it, great game. I mean, I loved it. Um, not it doesn't overstay its welcome, like right. Which is also another thing that happens in survival horror a lot. Right. You know, the the thing that I think was interesting about that game that sort of calls forward to Resident Evil is that they were so you know punching above their weight, like they were so ambitious with what they could do with that game. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like, we're going to make a horror game on the NES. We're going to actually put in jump scares. You know, we're going to actually make environments and music that conjure up an atmosphere. And it, for what it is, it works really well. Yeah, I remember getting caught by at least one jump scare. Like the floor falls out or oh, some yeah, shit. Yeah, the yeah. floor falling out. Yeah, which yeah. is, <laughs> it's cla- it's like the, the window scene, but their version of it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. From Resident Evil 1, I mean. Yeah, the uh, dogs jump through the windows. Yeah. But yeah, Sweet Home is, is surprisingly, you know, surprisingly good and surprisingly effective in the way that it actually creates horror, which I think is cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of NES RPGs are, like, hard to deal with nowadays, but I felt like Sweet Home was pretty manageable. Well, it, it, at least with save states. I use save states, so. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it, it's also a little simpler. It's almost a bit more of like a light RPG before that was a thing, you know, mm-hmm. like right. almost like Paper Mario or something where it's like you don't have to dive all the way in, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely one of the more replayable ones. Like, I'm not going to go back and play the original fucking Dragon Quest because like life is so short. Um, yeah, like, I mean, like Final Fantasy 2, like, goddamn, I tried to get through that, but yeah. I just gave up like halfway through. <laughs> just an awful fucking game. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, even some of the, I mean, as a side note, even some of the like early Super Nintendo uh, JRPGs, when you go back to them, you're like, I remember loving this game. And then you're like, my God, this is so fucking clunky. The volume of like random battles happening is not conducive to being a fucking adult. Yeah, you know I mean? no. it's t- it's like fine for like summer vacation when you're like up all night playing this yeah. shit. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I definitely find myself if I want to go back to that era, I just replay Chrono Trigger, and I pl- I probably replay that game like once a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've done Earthbound a couple times, but I I feel like Earthbound like you really need an emulator because the battles take so long and you can't speed them up. Yeah. So even like, you know, something is like critically renowned as earthbound is like kind of grading in 2019. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's even funny that like, uh, if have you played dragon quest 11, 
Oh yeah, I almost beat it. Um, I kind of gave up towards the end. Yeah, there was like so much shit to play. But yeah, um, you, you, I, I know you're getting there. Like even that, like it takes fucking forever. Well, and it, it does, and it's everyone's like, man, it's so old school. But when I was playing, yeah. I was just struck by how much they changed. Like, there's so many concessions to modern design, and there's so many things like that. It, it's strange because, like, even in the battles, they'll let you run around, but it doesn't do anything to affect the battles. Yeah. So, like, I mean, an hour in, I just disabled that because I thought it was goofy. And then it plays, like, the original Dragon Quest. Yeah. So, like, it's a weird mix between, like, old and new. Kind of like, I guess, what we're going to talk about with Resident Evil 2. Right. But I feel like, in in a lot of ways, it's not as successful. It doesn't, like, respect the player's time as much as a modern JRPG should, I think. I can see that. I think, for me, I had been away from the genre for so long, and Dragon Mm. Quest XI looked so good, and I was so excited that I, you know, I jumped back in, and I was expecting, like... Well, here we fucking go. And <laughs> I was really pleasantly surprised by how much it, I thought it respected my time. But I think yeah. it's also my frame of reference. Of like, I hadn't like the only games in that genre that I had played in the last many years were replaying uh, Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy seven and maybe okay. Final Fantasy six in there somewhere. Um, so I did, I did just come off of playing the first two trails of cold steel games, which oh, are like yeah. super fucking weeb anime but the PC ports, I mean, they're dope if you like reading a ton of dialogue and yeah. you don't like feel like a pervert, like <laughs> just fucking playing this shit. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the, the, real you shit. can fast forward real through like shit. the entire game. Yeah, I'm like, I, I, come on. like, I'm just like at that point where I just don't give a fuck anymore and I'll play it if I like it. Yeah. Um, but the whole game you could fast forward, like uh-huh. the right trigger. You can hold it down and like. You can just run through the game faster. Yeah, that's amazing. And you can skip all the battle animations with, like, just one button. And I really feel like those ports really respect the player's time. Because, like, you know, I'm still getting all the story and stuff, because I'm never going to skip that. Mm -hmm. But all, like, you're going to watch the same battle animations, like, hundreds of times in RPG. Yeah. So. Yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. There's just no getting around it. It's like, and I feel like a lot of those 16-bit RPGs, because I was able to speed them up with emulators, yes. I played a lot more than I ever would have. Yeah, it's funny to think about that because, like, I did play some of those games with the cartridges and an actual console, like back in the day. But then mm-hmm. I would say when I was the most into RPGs is probably when I was in like middle school and early high school, and that was when I was playing all of them on emulation like even the modern ones you could get emulators for if you were like that deep in the fucking internet Um, yeah for sure which i was for that um (laughs) i didn't like to talk to anyone on the internet but i would take their fucking you know freeware shit all day (laughs) uh which is still pretty accurate um but yeah like it was funny you know some like i remember wow god what was it i think it was like final fantasy when they finally did like an actual physical re-release of that on ps1 like i had already been playing this fan translated emulated version and i started playing it and i was like oh my god this is so slow like yeah i'm so used to just fast forwarding through everything and also not having load times which was like insane but for sure for sure yeah it's it's funny how how used to that you get. Yeah, I mean, like we're going to talk about this, but the doors in Resident Evil Two, like I mean, 
<laughs> After playing this new one, I wonder, like, if you go back to the original and remove all the door loading screens, like, how much snappier that game would feel, you know? Yeah, that is a really good question. There's a whole, yeah, after playing this, there's a whole bunch of things like that, too. Just like, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, well, okay. So from Sweet Home, uh, basically, one the director of that game is one of the creators of Resident Evil. A few different people came up with the idea. And um, one of mm-hmm. them who I actually looked up an interview with was uh, Tokuro Fujiwara. Um, and he actually hired uh, Shinji Mikami to be the director of the game. And one of the reasons he hired him that I think is really amusing is that he was like, oh, Mikami likes horror, but he's also actually scared of it. Like he actually gets scared oh. at horror movies and stuff. So they nice. wanted to hire him because they're like, well, he'll, he'll actually know how to scare a player because he gets scared. Right. Yeah, that's great. And it also, once again, like it just points to the weird logic behind these games where it's like, <laughs> not like, let's get these like dudes who are just going to come up with fucked up shit. They're like, no, let's get this guy who's scared of shit. And then like, he'll scare the player. Um, the original Resident Evil also Shinji Mikami has said that he didn't want it to be a series. He just envisioned it as this weird little project uh, that they were going to just see if they could mix up like zombie movies, action games and adventure games and try and you know make something successful um the game also you know started the series tradition of iteration by having multiple versions of it at least you know in the ideation stages like it was originally supposed to be first person um and it also was once again like reaching way beyond their means and trying to make something that the ps1 at that time just simply couldn't handle um which is how we got the fixed camera angles, how we got the door loading screens. Right. Um, you know, right. there's just so much in Resident Evil 1 that really set the tone for what the rest of the series would be like. And a lot of it was just situational bullshit, you know. I, I mean, there were very few PS1 first person games that could pull it off at all. I mean, there were games like Tecmo's Deception that were in first person, but that was a very blocky, like, cube area based game yeah and uh, I mean there was like Medal of Honor late in the system's life but that was like a Steven, Steven Spielberg thing or something you know that was a big tech thing people are like right Holy exactly shit. I remember feeling that way too it was like oh it's like Goldeneye but it looks way fucking better you know right or like Kingsfield I guess Kingsfield was an early PS1 first person game it's first person very slow um, sort of RPG yep and it's it's from software developed and published by from software um, yeah uh, yeah, 1994. Uh, yeah, I well, that's what I was going to say is that I think that that would have been the closest to what we would have gotten from a PS1 uh, first-person Resident Evil. And that game does not have the production value and presentation of Resident Evil. Not even oh, fucking for sure. close. That would have totally sucked. I mean... Yeah. Like, Kingsfield is cool <laughs> as it is, as just like a depression simulator or something (laughs) yeah well i mean like i can imagine something like house of the dead or something like but even if you look at the first sega saturn house of the dead that game looked like total shit and it's on rails i mean you can't turn around and look around like i'm sure i'm sure geometry is like disappearing behind you as you go you know what i mean oh yeah well and it's interesting too because like so this will this would become a, a theme uh that basically every game that mikami did for the ps1 basically up until the kind of ps2 
mid-period PS2 GameCube, he would always complain about the hardware limitations and not being able to do what he wanted to do. Like, I Mm. remember reading an interview in, like, uh, you know, like, EGM or something in like the nineties about dino crisis. And he was like, man, like right. the, mo- the dinosaurs were supposed to be smarter and there were supposed to be fucking trees everywhere. And like, man, <laughs> it just sucked. Like, but in, in like a polite Japanese way. Well, they got the camera to move in dino crisis. Was that two? The camera wasn't static anymore, but the first dino crisis was still static camera. And it looked like shit because of it too. Dino crisis looked significantly worse or the second one. Yeah. It, it's interesting that like a lot of the choices they made. And once again, this is kind of what I was saying earlier, there's also like game design stuff where it's easy to pick on it now. And people now, especially it seems like to dunk on the tank controls and just be like, Oh yeah, well, they're fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, when you look at the design for the time and the hardware and what they had available to them, it's like genius. Yeah, I mean, Mario 64 came out in 1995, I think. Yeah. I mean, that set the real standard. But I think Resident Evil was pretty. But like, I mean, even like Bubsy, uh, Bubsy 3 came out, <laughs> came out after Mario 64. I mean, wow, I like that you've graced our first episode with a sick, a sick Bubsy 3D ref. Dude. It's a horror podcast, and that's like the <laughs> scariest shit you can think of. Agreed. Um, well, I think the thing that's that's starting to bother me lately in the discourse, especially specifically around the Resident Evil Two remake, is people being like, "I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, you know, the tank controls made the game really scary,' and I no. wish, you know, and that's I disagree with that." But I think the tank controls were brilliant as a workaround and as a way to give you a really well-presented sort of high-production-value horror experience. They just couldn't have done it with a free-roaming camera. Yeah, I mean, those pre-rendered backgrounds were, like, crazy expensive back then. I mean, it probably took, like, Silicon Graphics workstations, like, days to render those scenes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And multiple artists, you know, and... Yeah, absolutely. So you can think of it as a limitation, but it's really not. I mean, you can watch speedrunners play this shit fast. I mean, um, well, and that's if you like the genre, if you got into the genre, you got used to it. Like, I definitely at this point, if I pick up a game with tank controls, I barely notice. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's got these. Okay, you know. Well, there weren't a lot of options for like the fixed camera controls. You could do something point and click, like the Lucas Arts games, where you click somewhere on the screen and then the character walks there. Right. Which I don't know that that's really like it detaches you from the gameplay. Yeah, it doesn't you know? immerse you in any anything like being able to actually move the character around, even if it, there is a layer between you and the character. Right. And then I think in the RE One remake, they switched. So if you press right, you would walk right, which I think made a lot more sense. But then some people still preferred the tank controls. Right. Well, the remake, the RE1 remake, uh, also, by the way, fuck you, Capcom, for making this now incredibly impossible to talk about, where it's like, which remake? Ah, huh? oh, God damn it. By just calling this game <laughs> Resident Evil 2, you know? But yeah, the RE1 remake actually had a lot of different control options, and they did some weird things with them like the original gamecube release is still they're like tank controls but they have all these subtle different manipulations to them and there's some that are just so surprisingly different from the original controls but it's still roughly the same where it's like you have to accelerate and steer 
but uh, there was one I liked a lot where you would actually use the R bumper to as your like acceleration. Weird. <laughs> that, yeah, that one was great. It was like you were playing Mario Kart with zombies. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty dope. Did, isn't that when they also added like um, it would like snap to aim? So you wouldn't have to like steer left and right to aim your shotgun. Yes. Um, so that was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the, the RE1 remake is still one of my favorite games ever. And yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I, I think the, it has a similar approach as the RE2 remake, even though it's a vastly different game, you know? Um, but to go back to kind of the original series, um, after Resident Evil 1, you know, it was a hit. Green lit a sequel. And um, this also kind of continued the trend of there being multiple versions of each game due to iterations and development. Um, famously, the Resident Evil 1.5. Which I was, like, super looking forward to when I was, like, 12. Yeah. <laughs> I, they even put out, like, previews and like, EGM and shit, I think. Oh, yeah. No, there were tons of screenshots. Um, there is a build that people have, like, a kind of janky build that you can look up on YouTube and watch some playthrough of. Yeah, some dude put together, like, half whatever is left over of that game. It's pretty cool, I mean. It is cool. What's super interesting to me about it is that the reason that it got shit canned, because it was pretty far along, I mean, to, to be shit canned, you know, they yeah. had actually done a lot of work on it. And what happened was that they had basically hired like a script doctor uh, or like right. the video game equivalent of a script doctor to come in and clean up the scenario and what was going on. And they were looking at it and they were like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is wrong with you guys like this is bullshit and basically 1.5 was just gonna be dawn of the dead but like dumber um and so this guy or this person the script doctor type figure was just like nah fuck that and so they rewrote the whole scenario and then they ended up having to basically make a whole new game i'm sure you know same engine a lot of the same assets but run um, one of the protagonists is different the police station i think was just going to be like part of it and then it became you know most of the game um things like that but once again i just think it's so fascinating that you know resident evil it's some of the you know biggest and best games of all time you know from the outside but from the inside they were just like eh, whatever like fuck this we'll just do whatever you know yeah i mean development hell is always um 90 percent of times like a really shitty game comes out of development hell but right i mean then you get something like re2 which is like a total masterpiece and it's probably only like a masterpiece because it went through development hell and yeah got shit canned well, one of my one of my coworkers uh, taught me this term that I will now probably totally misuse, but I believe it's called agile project management. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you know, so it's like I feel like that's how they develop these games um, was just like always being on the move and always being able to roll with the punches. So if they were like something isn't working and they bring someone in and like do this, even if it's totally redo everything, they'll do it. Um, and I think that's cool. Uh, and, you know, it gave us Resident Evil 2, which is a fucking masterpiece.
was your first experience playing Resident Evil 2? Well, I mean, I got it when I was a kid. I think I got it on launch day. Oh, we had Resident Evil 1. It was like one of the first games we had on PS1. Mm-hmm. We had like the long box version. Remember nice. when the PlayStation 1 games came with like the long cardboard thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like we played the shit out of RE1. Like before we even had a memory card, we would just like start the game over. Like, yeah. My older brother. We would just like fucking start from the beginning every time, you know? Nice. Uh, we played it to death. So when RE2 came out, I was like really fucking stoked and I had been like reading EGM about it like all the previews so like the hype machine was like real like oh yeah in prepubescent James's mind you know what I mean <laughs> so like yeah I mean I got it like played the shit out of it I think I got to the end in a weekend and I got to the last boss and I ran out of bullets and I had to start the whole game <laughs> over again <laughs> I was so fucking pissed. So classic, Uh, though. So I think I started with Leon, and I never beat the Leon A scenario as a kid. And then I was like, fuck this, I'm going to start over. Oh, I didn't know you could kill the last boss with the knife. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. There there weren't any, like, speedrun strats back then, you know what I mean? No, yeah. So I just started again with Claire, and I did, like, Claire A and Leon B, and that was, like, my RE... And I was much more um, frugal with my ammo on the second playthrough. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like that's a classic Resident Evil experience is doing a playthrough that you have to restart at some point. Getting to the end is pretty fucked up. (laughs) Uh, I will say that, but that's and that's one thing I actually liked about the Resident Evil 1 remake is when that game came out, I hadn't played a Resident Evil game in a while and I bought that and played it. And that actually happened to me like really close to the beginning. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, shit. Like, I had to remember how to play uh, those games. But yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a classic move. You got to kind of remember which hallways are wide enough that you can just like leave that zombie just chilling there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, I love that shit. My zombie management in RE2 Remake was much better on my second and third playthroughs. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, and they they made that I think more of a challenge than in like the re, the RE1 remake, you know. Right. Or it's just kind of like burn it. <laughs> burn all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I actually played Resident Evil 2 originally kind of far after its release. I played the N64 version. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I was going to ask if you had ever played that version because it seems like so few people did. Yeah, um, I so I didn't have a PlayStation. I all my friends did. So I played the first Resident Evil game on like at my friend's house and I fucking loved it. And then when RE2 came out, I was super excited because the commercials were so fucking sick. Um, Yeah, for all those commercials were dope, dude. That was the era of fucking sick video game commercial wasn't that Romero that did those commercials he did one commercial for Resident Evil 2 oh okay and that's amazing and then there's also like the one that I saw when I was a kid um it was just a normal commercial I mean it just had cut you know cut scenes from the game in it and the cool music and Mm -hmm. I don't know that was enough I was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was like that and all I thought all the Squaresoft commercials from that era were also amazing it was the same thing it oh was like, for sure you know for sure it's like we just put so many resources into these fmv cutscenes. let's just chop them up throw them in here throw some music under it because music's also dope as hell and then it's like right. yeah parasite eve i'm gonna fucking buy that you know or whatever yeah dude 
there was something like really special like happening in that era of gaming. Oh yeah. With these like big Japanese developers like Square and Namco, Capcom, like what a great like couple years of oh, gaming. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um but yeah, so I I I waited until the N64 version of that game came out, which must have been in like 2000 or 2000 yeah, I think it was 2000. Wow, was it that late? Yeah, it's maybe 99, but I remember in 99 still seeing like previews of it and stuff because it was coming mm-hmm. to the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast and the N64 version came out around the same time. Um, I didn't even know there was a Dreamcast version. Oh, yeah, there's a Dreamcast oh, version. damn, yeah. So those are the versions I actually played because my friend who got a Dreamcast wow. got that game too. So I played the N64 and the Dreamcast versions, and those versions are incredible. Like, Is the Dreamcast version like the best one? Uh, I think so. Uh, it definitely looks the best. I can't remember what the controls were like. The thing mm. with the N64 version was the graphics were amazing. It used uh, the expansion pack. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Need that rain. Oh yeah, dude. Need that little that little red guy. Give me the give me the rain. Uh, <laughs> and the controls were actually really good. Um, it gave you once again kind of like the RE1 remake. It gave you a bunch of different options for controls. It used you know the analog stick, and you had two different D pads to choose from and. Mm. It may be just me being most familiar with that version, but I always thought those controls were like the best. Um, yeah, I really, really liked that version. And yeah, it looks great. And the Dreamcast has, I think, kind of the same thing going on. But um, yeah, I was obsessed with Resident Evil 2 because I, I somehow convinced my mom to buy it for me and which like was weird and so she did <laughs> and so she and she was even kind of like what is this like are you supposed to be playing this i'm like yeah yeah it's fine don't worry mom there's uh, just a corpse on the front cover yeah yeah like don't worry about it it's <laughs> chill but so for me playing it i have this nostalgia of like playing the game and loving the game and being scared of it on like a level of playing it but then being a lot more scared of my like traditional muslim parents like walking in on me like <laughs> playing this game and like in my worst nightmare like seeing the quasi pornographic game over screen and just being like okay we are like sending oh, you somewhere to fix you <laughs> yeah um, i mean my my parents never walked in on me playing Fear Effect on PS1. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. When survival horror gets sexy. Oh, God. Only in that PS1 era could, like, these small-ish teams make mm-hmm. these weird fucking niche games. This is, like, a whole other conversation, but, like, the AAA gaming industry now is just, like, so fucked and far up their asses. Like, yeah. There's, like, no innovation, and I mean, like, that era of gaming had, like, so much innovation. Yeah. And I guess, like, games on PlayStation were, like, cheap to produce because Japan was just, like, spitting out fucking games. It was, was, like, a machine gun of, like, PlayStation (laughs) 1 games coming out of Japan. So weird and fucking, yeah, so many niche games from that era. And I mean, there were fucking two Fear Effect games now that I think about it. Yeah. Retro Helix was the second one, I think. I think I played them both. Uh, yeah. I watched a friend play them. Yeah. I had a friend that worked at KB Toys and he would like oh, constantly yeah. be stealing PlayStation games. Oh my God. And so like he had just like a giant stack of like Survival War was a shit. So like yeah. we, we, would, we would either play everything or I'd watch him play everything. You know yeah. What I mean? Totally. Yeah. I, I remember like I got my my PS1 right as they were sort of discontinuing the support for it. So 
I just went around to all the stores. You know, we had a Funko Land, we had a Software, etc. And I would just go and buy these amazing games for like two dollars. And so I just yeah. with like fucking lawn mowing money, I was like going yeah. around and, and buying shit, which I later sold to start my recording studio. <laughs> well, I mean, emulators, right? Well, no, like I was actually really hyped about it. I was like, thank you, 12 year old me. Cause like you bought this game that's now worth $200. Like fuck yeah, yeah bro. No shit. I should say I'm not a collector of literally anything. I just keep things if I need I them. Am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I turn around my webcam, you'd see my like 300 Sega Genesis games behind me. Yeah. I just keep the stuff that I need. So like on, on the Genesis, it's like, well, I have to have a copy of Gunstar Heroes. And if I have oh, that, for sure. Yeah. I'm probably good. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. And there's so many great fucking Japanese Genesis games. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and eventually, you know, if we keep doing this, we could get around to talking about Splatterhouse and then just have like a fucking yeah. Genesis Splatterhouse two and three. Oh yeah. And just have a Genesis like yeah. nostalgia thon. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- there was a couple really weird games, the haunting starring Poltergeist. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Wow. That came out yeah. of nowhere, dude. Yeah. Fucking Talk about weird niche shit that would never happen now. Oh, God. That game is really hard to play. Dude, I loved it when I was a kid. I saw yeah. through all of its like shortcomings, and I loved it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Bubsy level, but it is hardcore. But like we yeah. had the same thing where it's like if we got a game and we decided it was cool, we'd play the shit out. I mean, we loved Bubsy. We like legitimately fucking loved Bubsy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cool Spot. Loved Cool Spot as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I had both Cool Spot games. I actually really like the second one, which is impossible to play and just actively terrible. Was that one Spot Goes to Hollywood? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I had, that was one of my earlier PlayStation games. Yeah. That was on PlayStation? Yeah. It, it looked better too. It had like better like pre-rendered graphics and shit. Like it fucking matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the the graphics in that game were were really good, uh, but the music was really terrible. Um, I think Dave Perry did the music, uh, if I'm getting his name right, the shiny guy. Oh, no, I'm getting that wrong. I'm thinking of probably Tommy Tallarico, maybe. I don't know. I remember that game, the music, the compositions weren't bad, but it just had this real like muddy poop tone to all the music. It was just super like depressing. As a kid that grew up with the Sega Genesis, like I can empathize with your bleeding ears. Like, <laughs> well, now I love it. I love that FM synth harsh bullshit sound. I like it more than the Super Nintendo chip. I mean, I don't know what the Japanese developers were doing, but Sega of America like definitely didn't get like that fucking sound pack or whatever. Because the Western developers did not know what to do with the music chips in Sega Genesis. You listen to something like Shinobi 3 or like Thunder Force mm-hmm. 4, yeah. and it's just so fucking dank sounding. Mm-hmm. But then you like put in like Sonic Spinball or something, and it's, it's just like really bad. a chainsaw to your ears. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there is one notable exception, um, which is Maximum Carnage, starring Spider-Man, featuring the music of Green Jelly. So, oh, fuck I forgot out of about here. That. that shit sounds great. Best digital Green- guitar tone of all time. Hey, uh, Guar was in the Beavis and Butthead game. That's right. Oh, yeah. shit, dude. Yeah. yeah, that's real shit. And then uh, there was Rock and Roll Racing that had a bunch of shit, like Black Sabbath and yeah. Golden Earring. Yeah, we looked those up. Uh, I think it was at work. We looked those up not that long ago because someone was like, do you remember this game? Was this real? And I was like, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Is that I think post-RE2, uh, the kind of development cycle got weirder because they just started hemorrhaging spinoffs as a way to try new ideas for the series. Um, mm-hmm. Which makes sense because RE2 was such a high point and it felt like such a almost perfection of that particular formula that it was like, okay, uh, let's let's try dinosaurs. So we got Dino Crisis. And then it yeah. was like, uh, let's try Samurai. And then we got fucking Onimusha. And then right. it was like, oh wait, there's a bug that keeps guys in the air and you can just be like a god. Okay, now we got Devil May Cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. And then we got Code Veronica, which was like, what if Resident Evil 2, but also Die Hard, but also something dumber you know and i love that game but it's really ridiculous well i mean (sighs) code veronica is like really like the real resident evil 3 you know re3 is just fucking weird man like yeah i put re3 in my notes in this category yeah i sorry i I skipped over it and i was all out of order time wise but yeah (laughs) it's like they made a bunch of weird ass games it's like they tried they just wanted to make it an action game Right, but it's like a janky as fuck action game because it's so Resident Evil. <laughs> right, and it's it's funny because it feels like they separated it into two games. Where like RE three is like, what if you just had to run most of the game, and Code Veronica is like, what if machine gun rocket launcher? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, I mean, people like are really pushing for RE three remake right now. Yeah, but I feel like RE3 remake should just be like DLC for RE2 remake, because I mean, yeah, wasn't the, correct me. It's been a long time since I've even like watched RE3, but correct me if I'm wrong. If like half the game is in the police department, yes. So a lot of RE3 is in the police department. A lot of it is also kind of out in the streets a bit more, um, which I think mm-hmm. was a selling point. It was like, oh, you actually get to see more of that raccoon city urban environment Um, yeah what's interesting about the re2 remake uh to jump ahead to that for a second is that it takes a lot of ideas from re3 um so it's a bit funny that people were immediately like give us the re3 remake uh which is at least easier to say but uh (laughs) because they took the ammo crafting and running from a big enemy from directly from re3 and those two things are huge components of the re2 remake as we'll talk about later Um, yeah for sure but yeah it's well yeah so they made all these fucking spinoffs and they're all just weird um but they were all basically test runs for re4 yeah in a way yeah i could see because they devil may cry i mean I don't know, the, the over-the-shoulder camera thing was kind of still novel, I think, when right. RE4 came out, you know? Yeah, and in development, though, there were, once again, multiple versions of RE4 uh, that there were some that looked a lot more like Devil May Cry, some of them that looked more like a traditional Resident Evil game. Um, mm-hmm. They showed off a few different batches of, like, screenshots and some brief, you know, gameplay Uh it's interesting and what they ultimately came up with was definitely different it was a departure and that's another i think to me like a hallmark of a resident evil development cycle is there's a ton of iteration there's a bunch of weird versions and crazy ideas but what ends up coming out doesn't really look like any of that even from 1.5 to 2 you can see that they don't really look like the same game 
you know mm-hmm. um, for sure but yeah four and four is kind of you know the end of the sort of classic period of the series and where it sort of went out in the weeds for a while yeah i gotta say um when four came out i was uh, not in camp re4 like i didn't think it was like traditionally adventure gamey enough and uh i mean i didn't even like watch anybody play it for a really long time hmm. and uh i mean even to this day i haven't really like got really into re4 and i know that's like heresy but that's just how it be yeah man to tell more just like <laughs> nostalgic pointless stories i guess like i really distinctly <laughs> remember being like re4 is going to be the greatest game of all time i'm so hyped but i like yeah. did pre-order it and then all my friends were like you're not gonna get a copy and so i went to <laughs> i went to a fucking GameStop. I've, i mean i must have been like 16 or 17 or something I like went to a fucking GameStop and they had a bunch of copies on the shelf. And I was like, oh, I want one of those. And the guy didn't want to sell me one. Cause he was like, oh, these are for like pre-orders. And I was like, no, they're not. Those are the ones for sale. Right? He's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but we have to hold them. And I was like, no, you don't. And I like, <laughs> I had to badger this fucking guy into selling me a copy. And he did, and I went home and played it. And I remember the first day I played it. I actually didn't play it that much. I probably only played the first like couple hours of it. And I was like, uh-huh. "This is fucking incredible! Like, this is the <laughs> best fucking game." And it was funny because the longer I played it, the more that feeling started to kind of fade a bit. And I would say by the time I finished mm. it, I was like, "This is really, really good." But I'm interested to see what they do with the next one, like if they actually make a horror game and not a shooting guys in robes simulator. Right. It it is a really fucking good game. I do think it's probably one of the best games ever, and I love it. And it's really easy to replay. I've probably replayed yeah. it like ten times or something, but it I agree with you. I see where you're coming from, and I always kind of had that feeling of like, I hope they get back to making horror games at some point because it's it's not the first couple hours are a horror game yeah and the rest of it is not that was just like where like i kind of fell out of love with the series too because like re4 5 and 6 were like not interesting to me at all yeah 5 and 6 are just bad yeah and then 7 came out and it was like fucking it, it wasn't like the first couple games at all it, it was like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But the inventory management and the, the jump scares and the atmosphere was just like super Resident Evil. And it, RE7 was fucking great. Or at least, you know, like the first two thirds of yeah. RE7 yeah. were great. But I mean, that's kind of how I feel about almost every Resident Evil game is that like the first two thirds are great. And then like the last chunk is just a slog that you run through real fast to get the game over with well i agree and i do you know at some point i'd like to do a more sort of in-depth examination of resident evil 7 because i think it's fascinating like how they just took the structure of the first game and it's fascinating because it doesn't all work like the beginning of it works and then towards the end you're like why did you guys do this again why did you put a fucking <laughs> secret lab? Why did you make yeah. the... Why? Like... The whole salt mines thing. I mean... But then... I don't know. 
they do have to make it a Resident Evil game, right? It's not like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game. Well, and you know, this is a good, this is a good segue into the Resident Evil 2 remake because I think I love it. Um, and oh yeah, it's great. The reason that I'm so hyped, I, I still, even though I've you know fucking played through all the scenarios now, I'm still feeling like hyped up about it. Is that it really fixed a lot of my problems with Resident Evil 7, um, and I think like when you when I did go back and play a little bit of seven um, after I think I beat yeah. the like a B and it's it's really interesting We're like oh yeah like this it's so classic Resident Evil where it's like oh this feels like a test run for doing the rest of a series it did feel like a huge reboot yeah 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 for sure it was like putting a defibrillator on the fucking on the whole series you know what I mean right but with specifically with the uncertainty that that metaphor entails where it's like well maybe maybe I'll wake up I don't fucking know you know right yeah but I mean seven was like a great pastiche of just like all these great horror movies it just works so well I mean the the evil dead thing with the girlfriend like being a deadite Mm -hmm. you know and then, like, right when you're done with, like, dealing with her, it's just, like, Jack and the Dex Chainsaw Massacre family. Yep. And it's so good. Yeah, up until you, I think, leave the second house, um, it's perfect. I have no... Yeah. Even And that's, like, another thing, too, is, like, one of my problems with the end is it gets a little more action-heavy, and I don't really think the combat in that game is very good. Um, which is weird, because it's just first person. You know, it should be fine. I didn't didn't like it, and I think it's more of an enemy design problem. Yeah, the, all the enemies are like bullet sponges, and that's not like satisfying. No, I think you know, or at least, well, there. I mean, Resident Evil Two does it in a more interesting way. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, I also enjoy the shotgun because heads explode. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's yeah. like a great visceral feeling, regardless. Yeah, totally. But I mean, one thing that both these games have in common that also calls back to, I think there's. There's kind of like three remakes in the series. There's the Resident Evil 1 remake. There's RE7, which is a reboot. And then there's now the the mm. Resident Evil 2 remake. And all of them have the same ethos, which is let's go back to the core of, of what makes this series itself. And then let's add other different mechanics on top of it and try and change up the formula. Um, Run. And, and then when something works, they pull it into the next... Uh, Iteration. They pull it into the next episode of what they're doing. And I thought that was playing the Resident Evil 2 remake, you know, going into it, there were certain things that I was like, why is, why is Mr. X in the whole game? Like, or most of the game, sorry, not the whole game, yeah, but yeah. he's in a lot. He's not in that much of the original game and he's not like that, <laughs> you know? It's true. I think of Mr. X more as like a game mechanic the more I play the game though. And then like, you figure out like how to fucking, all right, this is my fourth playthrough and I know this is going to trigger master act. And so what do I do to minimize my fucking Mr. X's active time? And I do all this other shit around that. And then I finally trigger him and then I'd like do exactly the things I need to do. And then I'm, you know, in the next part of the game. But I, I think it's interesting just to look at the, why the decision was made to me. It seems like they were just looking at RE seven and it was like, man, everyone was raving about the parts with the dad. Yeah. With Jack. Uh, and it was like, that's canny, man. That's fucking smart. Yeah. And I think also it's, you get to a part of the game where you've boarded up some of the windows and you're getting more comfortable in these hallways mm-hmm. and it's starting to get less scary. 
Yeah. And you know, you're comfortable doing your little runs, your little item runs, running back and forth to your little safe spot. And then they just fucking throw Mr. X in and he's like, I'm going to invade your fucking safe space. You're not safe anywhere. And even when I'm not here, you're going to hear me like stalking you. Yeah. So like right when you start feeling comfortable in RPD, like they throw Mr. X at you, you know, it's fucking brilliant. I I, I hate him. Like, (laughs) and like, that's why I know how to like, you know, I played through the game four times. I know how to like minimize my Mr. X time. (laughs) I did have a really funny experience with like, my I had two back-to-back playthroughs. I think it was my like Claire B and Claire A, where they were flip-flopped. Where like mm-hmm. in my Claire B, he was super aggressive and he was everywhere. And yeah. then in my Claire yeah. A, I think because that playthrough was weird. Like I hit some weird glitches. Like stuff would desync sometimes. Um, oh, weird. And I think I had a weird glitch where he was just like super chill. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny because I like I had just done the Claire B where. Uh, I had just, he, had, he was everywhere. Well, he just shows up so early in the B scenario. Yeah. yeah like, that's, if that's you're not true. careful, you can like straight up, like trigger him five minutes into the B scenario and you're just like fucked for like an hour. I did do that. That is what I did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, so just to back up for a second, um, I right. guess, and just, so Resident Evil two remake, um, Basically, they went in and they completely rebuilt the original Resident Evil 2. And, you know, to use a term you used earlier that I think is perfect, they kind of made a pastiche of all of the most well-loved Resident Evil uh, mechanics. So it has the it has the story and the setting and the general pace of Resident Evil 2. It has the mm-hmm. over-the-shoulder camera of Resident Evil 4. Um, but it has the sort of freedom of movement in combat that Resident Evil 7 had. Um, and the inventory management's like directly from 7. Yes, and it's it's in the same engine too, so if you liked 7 and you're familiar, mm-hmm. it's immediately likable. Like the just little things, like the font is the same, the menus look the same, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the animations are the same. Yes. Like Leon cutting the tape on the electrical box, yep. that's like straight from... RE7, you know? Yeah. So they sort of made this this mix of all of these different elements of, you know, the things that people like about Resident Evil 2 and made a new game out of it. Um, a lot of the things they brought over, um, some of them are, you know, what you'd expect and some of them are kind of surprising. So the scenarios return, um, which if you haven't played the game, it basically means that there's two main characters and in a given playthrough you can either play one as your a scenario and one as your b scenario the a scenario is Mm -hmm. longer um it has it's a little bit more involved in the story um and they're sort of your main character the b scenario is shorter um it intertwines with the a scenario yeah a little bit shorter it intertwines with the a scenario and it's just overall like a different take on the same events um and I don't know if it re- uh, yeah. references them as this in this game, um, but in the old game, it was A and B. So Leon A means you played Leon first. Leon B means you played Leon second. Um, right. And I think it's it's can- canon. Claire A, Leon B is canon. Really? Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's, that's what the nerds so on Reddit weird. all agree to. Well, I mean, because Leon was disc one, right? So. Yeah. I think most people Leon defaulted to Leon A because Leon was disc one in the original release. 
And and I think Leon A. Claire B is better personally in this game for yeah. sure. Well, I, I I thought it was cool having Claire like be like, hey, you stay with the kid, and I'll go take care of this mess at the end. You know, yeah, I, that ends at that's Claire B. Well, and so Claire Claire is a badass, and Leon is like a rookie. And when you play the whichever character you play as your B scenario, it's harder. Um, it's way more yeah, intense. Sure. And that's the character that fights the last boss. I feel like Leon's easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the last boss isn't really like a real last boss. No, it's more like a cutscene. Yeah, it's a cutscene where like you poke a thing in the eye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it was it, to me it felt way better to to have Claire B. Yeah. So it's it's funny to hear that. And also it's like on the menu. Leon's the one that's first, just like in the original game, Leon was the first disc. Right. So unless you yeah. pointedly were like, oh, I want to play as Claire, like you probably just popped in Leon because it's disc one. But, um, right, for sure. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of get that explanation out of the way because I realized at some point <laughs> playing this where I was like, I actually don't know if I've seen the A and B notation in this game. No, I think it says first and it says second. It doesn't say A and B. But everyone calls it, everyone who knows the original game calls it A and B because in the old game it was actually referenced in the save files A and B. Anyway, so the the biggest change in this remake is that there are no longer the fixed camera angles and tank controls of the original, which is, you know, basically mm. when you'd move from one screen to another and the camera angle would change and also the orientation of the character would change. So you had this really clunky system yeah. for moving around the game world. Now it's it's just fully open. And, and you think that would make the game easier because you wouldn't be able to like hide mm -hmm. or you, you'd be able to see everything around you. Yeah. But really, I mean, with over the shoulder camera, you're still your field of view is still pretty limited. And the game uses a lot of tricks to still like have jumpy uh, zombies like jump out from behind you. Right. And I was really impressed with the changes they made to make the game feel scary while having this totally different style. Um, the zombies are the big one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like they are fucking great. <laughs> like I was really impressed. The zombie destruction is really great too. Like yeah. you can tell that the character models have like a sub skin underneath. That's mm -hmm. just like all fucking meat. So when you're like shooting out and with shotguns, like chunks come off and you can see like the, that sub skin of just like muscle and gristle yeah. and shit. It's really cool. It's nuts. Like, duh, just like man, yeah. someone had to model all that. That's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, and I mean, all the face models are incredible. I yeah. mean, we're going to get to all the characters, I guess, but I mean, fucking, yeah. uh, all the 3d scanning that they did for the faces is just great. No, totally. Um, but with the zombies, the thing that I liked is that they made them unpredictable um, and inconsistent. Oh, yeah. Which is what they'll makes spin them around scary. real fast and grab you. Yeah. Like they'll be like bent over with their like faces away from you and they'll like spin around and grab you real quick. Like, right. Super unpredictable. Yeah. And I thought that was such a genius move because we've gotten a little bit of that. So in the original Resident Evil remake, um, zombies would come back sometimes if you didn't burn them down. Yeah. Uh, and so that mm -hmm. was how that game dealt with that um, to make things a little scarier and more unpredictable. But uh, in this game, it's just like that 24 seven on 
steroids. Like you just don't know what the fuck they're going to do. Like sometimes they won't yeah. go through doors. Sometimes they do go through doors. Like you said, sometimes they'll get up from the ground. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes you can sneak past them and sometimes you can't. It's never obvious when they're dead either. Like you're never right. like totally sure when they're fucking dead. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't, I was impressed with that. Um, because it, so I think that's one thing. Uh, there's a couple things I think this game does a lot better than Resident Evil seven. But one thing was, you know, if you're going to have a base enemy that you deal with most of the game, make it really, really good. Mm-hmm. In Resident Evil 7, you had the moldeds. The sludge monsters or whatever. Yeah. Not the coolest uh, main bad guy. No. The first one you see is really freaky and weird and unexpected. And after that, you're just like, oh, my God, get the fuck out of here. Uh, right. And these these zombies are the opposite where they're just so they have so many behaviors and they're so hard to predict. Um and that's yeah. that plays into so the fact that you can move around easier, you can run, and you're very agile. Uh, it you well, like you said earlier, you'd think it makes the game easier, but because they made the zombies more unpredictable and faster and a little harder to deal with, uh, it actually has the opposite effect where it's all this kind of game of like risk management and like rolling the dice of like, am I going to try and run through this yeah. hallway or am I going to fight these guys? And it works really, really well. And it makes the control scheme work yeah. really well. Yeah. And once, you know, once you're on your like third or fourth playthrough and your like skills a lot higher, you learn how to like cheese them with like stuns. I yeah. mean, you just like shoot them in the knee twice and run past. Yeah. Yep. And you feel like a fucking superhero <laughs> on your like fourth playthrough. You know? Yeah, totally. It's like redemption time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing, too, I feel like you get a little more ammo in this than the original. Or maybe a lot more. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to shoot the fucking zombie seven times in the head, at least. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so that was when they started giving me ammo when I was playing. I was like, man, they're giving me a fuck ton of ammo. And then you start dealing with crowds of zombies. And you're just like, oh, this is why. Yeah. Yeah. The triggering of events inside RPD, like, Mm -hmm. really... It, it's it's when things trigger when you're not in the room or you're on the other side of RPD. It, it, when you trigger those events really dictates the difficulty of the first like two hours of the game. Oh, yeah. Totally. Because really early you can trigger the helicopter to hit the side of the building. Right. And when that happens, all the zombies in the east wing wake up and oh. they start coming through the windows. Yeah. Totally. So like... If you get, if you board up all those windows before you trigger the helicopter to hit the building, like that's smooth sailing. Right. But if you don't do that and you like flood the east wing with zombies that you haven't cleared out, you're like completely fucked and you're probably gonna run out of ammo for that little section. Oh you yeah. Know what I mean totally. No, yeah. totally. It's it's fascinating. And in that way it and in a few other ways, it has that old school feel. It feels like um the old game. Uh so, you know, some other stuff that they, they brought straight over, um, a lot of the layout is actually the same. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, because, like, there were points where I would get to and I would be like, oh, yeah, I know this place. Like, I, I remember this, you know? Yeah, for sure. Th- th- those are, like, really cool moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, they also brought back, of course, a lot of the items. So you're using herbs and you get mostly the same weapons, although they, they act really differently. The, the whole the whole inventory system is like super like 1996, like 1997. <laughs> right. Um, the fact that you can't drop items and, or when you do drop an item, it just like disappears from existence. 
Like, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if a young kid would like pick this up and be like, what the fuck just happened to my ammo? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that seems like such an antiquated thing in 2019. Right. Know? And that, that's one of the things I really like about this game is it's so confusing. Like, okay. So the first two reviews I read of it, I loved what was going on in these reviews. Okay. The first review I read was the Kotaku review, which was like, this game is just so old fashioned, you know, like the person liked it. It was a positive <laughs> review, but it was just like, God, it's like 1998 all over again. And then the next review yeah. I read was the IGN review, which was just like, man, this, this game, it's like, it's not 1998 at all. <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it was so funny. Cause I think it gets to the core of what is so cool about this game is that it is simultaneously a 1998 simulator and nothing at all that could have ever been released. Yeah. In I mean, they modernized exactly what they what they needed to modernize right and they still kept it gamey enough that it's like a really engaging game and you know it is that item management simulator it is like the health management simulator it is like okay i know these events are going to trigger when i do this thing so let's you know clear out these rooms at this time so like it's 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 a it's a stress management simulator in a lot of ways you oh know yeah what I mean? Like if you if you just pull out pull all the horror away, like yeah. the, the the what are the game pieces moving around? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very Diner Dash. It's Diner. Yeah. It's basically Diner Dash. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, my favorite example of of that, like something that's right in between a modern feature and a 1998 feature, is uh, is actually the the lighting in the game. Like, oh the, yeah, the lighting yeah. in the game is insane. I did want to talk about a little bit about it. Yeah, the, just in terms of like technical stuff, like the lighting is great. Um, the HDR implementation is kind of cool. It, it, I don't, are you playing it on an HDR TV? No, I was gonna say I have I have no. I'm just playing it. On, I play it on PC. Um, I have a good, decent yeah. monitor. I don't know, something special. What wait? What did you play it yeah. on? Oh yeah, that's a good point. So uh, I'm playing it on PC. Okay, and I've got like a 1080 Ti, so I'm running it at like 1440p. Okay, 60 frames. Like I'm getting like a solid 60 frames, 1440p, Okay. but HDR is on and it looks like really nice. And notice when I turn HDR on and off with it off, the game is a lot more gray. Um, uh, the dynamic range is like really cool, especially like I, I did like specifically like the East hallway is yeah. like one of the best looking parts of the games. And it's also like the most like taxing in terms of like your computer running it. Yeah. Um, totally. Just like all the volumetric lighting and, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just like a super taxing area, but it's like gorgeous. And it like sets the stage for everything. Like yeah. um, in terms of like the horror and jump scares and atmosphere. Right. The The thing that I loved about the lighting though, was that, okay. So in the original game, when you move between rooms, there's a loading screen, there's a door opening yeah. animation, as we mentioned earlier. And so, you, mm -hmm. and it's also pre-rendered. It's like an artist made a background. That's what you're looking at with yeah. a 3d character yeah. model mapped over it. Um, so you can really easily go from a room that's really brightly lit and totally like blown out into a room that's like pitch black. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you don't have that buffer in between those two rooms, it would look fucking ridiculous. And so when you move between two rooms like that in this game, it's like they preserved some of the original lighting. So it, the overall, the game is way darker than the original, but yeah, for sure. They preserved some of it, and it's super cool because when you move between rooms, you can see the whole lighting change in this really weird, dramatic way that's like very uncanny. It's like not even lighting; it's like color correction too. Like, yeah. 
you walk past the threshold and like the color correction completely changes. Right. It's done so smoothly though. It looks great. It's cool, but it also fucks with the HDR settings. Oh, so like, I don't know how they would fix that though. You know what I mean? Because some rooms are just like more gray than others. Well, and I'm glad they didn't because it keeps a lot of the atmosphere of the original game. Um, Yeah. And I mean, it looks cool. Like you want to feel warmer when you go into like the lobby because that's like the safe area. You know what I mean? I just, I loved it because I was like, man, this is such a cool callback and it's such an interesting way to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. The the thing too, I actually, so I cranked a lot of the settings, um, but I liked it better locked at 30 frames. Did you? I thought some of the stuff like that, because I could tell that it was like, well, if this was at 60 or high, I don't think you can go higher than 60 with this game, but if it was at 60 or up. Yeah, you totally can. Yeah, I I think it's got an unlocked frame rate. Oh, okay. Yeah. I th- uh, yeah, you're right. But I was noticing when I had it just at 60 and it, it was, it was staying solid, but like some of that stuff just looked really weird and the cutscenes hmm. felt like they were closer to 30. And so when I bumped it down to 30, I thought the whole game just looked smoother to me, like smoother, not in terms of frame rate, but just the lighting effects and stuff looked smoother. I did. I did notice that um, the frame rate does dip in the cutscenes, and I think it's because every time the camera changes, the lighting changes, and I think that makes the frame rate drop. Well, and also most people still do cutscenes at thirty. Um, like that's yeah, that's a thing now weird. that a lot of people are running into with with games where they're like, oh yeah, these cutscenes are still at thirty, but I'm running this game at 120 frames or whatever. It's funny that you brought that up because Shinji Mikami and like he like infamously locked the evil within one at 30 frames because oh he said it made it yeah. look like more like a movie. Yeah. And then like the PC gaming crowd just like, you know, like destroyed him for it. Well, and the real problem was that he slapped the fucking bars on it. Yeah. The public, I think the publisher put out like a code to make it 60 frames a second and yeah. get rid of the bars. <laughs> yeah. I played the game long enough after that game long enough after release on PC that I could turn off the bars, but I didn't know that initially. So I actually yeah. rage quit on like the second environment. Cause I was like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> like this, what is this? Yeah. This is a whole other conversation, but I love the setup to the evil within. And then like after like maybe like the third or fourth stage, I fucking hated it. And I just stopped playing it. Really? Yeah. I had to restart that game four times to beat it. Um, because I kept rage quitting and now yeah. it's probably like one of my favorite games ever. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't like how it got all actiony with the fucking big fat guy chasing you around and you had to like use traps to stop him and shit. Yeah. It's not really a horror game. The sequel is great. I don't know if you've played the sequel. So a little bit, I pirated it and didn't really play a lot of it, yeah. but I tried to play the first game as a stealth game because it really uh, sets it up like that. That's how you get to play the second ones though. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so like once they like start you to like the, it forces you into playing it as an action game. I kind of like checked out. Yeah. That was my big problem, especially early on where it's like, you can tell it's supposed to be a stealth game, but the stealth mechanics are so bad that you either die or fight, uh, all the time, run constantly or find weird glitches that let you get through levels without fighting. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, I love stealth games and I feel like stealth and horror should be like put together a lot more often. Oh yeah. More successfully.
Well, speaking of, okay, so speaking of RE7, uh, one thing that, and, and technical stuff too, I thought that the the animations and the characters in this game just look so much better than RE7. It like blew me away that that's only, what, a couple of years after that game? It's such a huge improvement. Yeah, I mean, going from like uh, the way Jack would like switch animations and stuff as walk, like while he's walking down the hallway, right. it always looks a little janky. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Leon and Claire are, like, perfect. Yeah. There's still some, like, Mr. X jank, I feel like, especially when, like, traversing rooms, things like that. I feel like they could have done something more with the design than, like, the guy who has a katana waiting in line at the Chick-fil-A. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was a missed opportunity. (laughs) Oh, but at the same time, he's just, like, a big hulking mass. It has that like Baba Duke, like real like yeah. he's a big shadow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it was just you know when I was on my first playthrough, I went to the post office and there was a guy like a weird like elderly <laughs> weeb in line who was dressed exactly like Mister X, and oh, I was like, shit. It kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> That's so funny. And I was like, I know he has a katana in that Geo Metro out there. <laughs> like if I step to him, yeah, I will be I- cut. And I mean, like, Mr. X is like totally fucking Arnold in the Terminator. I, I couldn't think of anything else that, like, any in terms of like influences or something. He's like just like straight up the fucking Terminator. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it works. Uh, I think there were just a couple close ups during cutscenes where I was just like, eh, this, this, just a design, not even a technical thing. I was just like, I wish they had done maybe yeah. a little bit. I sort of, like in the original, how the kind of jagginess uh, adds to the grotesque uh, aspect of oh for sure the tyrant yeah. and Mister X and all that, and in the new game, some of that stuff is because it's the graphics are so good, it's a little bit smoothed over, and I sort of wish they had compensated with design and maybe made things a little grosser. RE Seven was really good about that. RE Seven is a gross looking game, super yeah, gross, definitely. Um, but yeah, the, the characters look great. The animations look great. Uh, we were in the notes here to talk about, uh, the characters themselves, uh, our, our stars are not great as characters. Oh yeah. I mean like Leon is like such a like anime trope rookie character or something. Yeah. He's like uh, Rick from Robotech or some shit. He's like, Oh, here's my first day on the job. And he's like so naive to everything. And he's just like. Like, what yeah. a wooden character. I mean, like, yeah, I liked, I was, yeah, I liked the little bits of characterization, like how he's constantly going, Oh shit. And yeah. Or like, you got this. Yeah. yeah. I liked that. But then whenever he would open his mouth to say a full sentence, it was like, dude, come on. Yeah. And like the whole Ada thing and everything, like he's such like a one dimensional character. I'm sure he had a good reason. Claire's Claire's almost that bad, but um, <laughs> yeah. I think she's just better. a little more interesting. But she falls into the trope of like turning into a mom, like at yeah. the first possible opportunity. She's like, I'm a mommy now. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's, it's interesting because contrasting that are the secondary characters who are all better. Hello, human. Oh, yeah. Like, what's the uh, Ben, the reporter? He's probably like the best character in the game. Yep. And he gets like six lines of dialogue, but it's just so good. It just reminds me of like all the great like minor characters in horror movies that would just die and like I don't know just like great eighties horror. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, you know, this, you know, similarly, you could say that about Marvin, who's like the cop who pulls you out of the East hallway and kind of tells you what's up. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the best acting in the game, I think, is the gun shop owner who's in the game for two minutes, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I feel I really feel like a, um, you know, Dawn, uh, Night of the Living Dead basement scene kind of thing. Yeah. Like if the guy from Night of the Living Dead wasn't a total piece of shit, you know what I mean? Like the little just like slice of life and like this like shit hole that's going down. Like it was perfect. That was a nice surprise to me because I was sort of expecting just normal Resident Evil bullshit where it's like, yeah, okay. For sure. <laughs> Go here. <laughs> do do that. Um, one thing that's interesting, uh, interesting point of comparison between the two games because the game lets you pick between them is the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. So, like, the original soundtrack is a fucking classic. Like, all-time classic. Uh, great cheesy over the top it sounds like a full moon features movie like straight up it sounds like fucking puppet master four or some shit and it's great for it yeah it's also got this legitimately good ambient music that crops up here and there yes like the theme to to the police station main hallway and like the safe rooms yeah yeah resident so the resident evil save rooms throughout the series are like the height of music uh Yeah, for sure. Like, greatest hits. Yeah, I actually, for a while, um, I was in a band where I had a looper that just it had, like, ten slots, and so I just had every Resident Evil save room uh, song on it. Just <laughs> That's it, so fucking good. God damn it. In between songs, I would just, like, play it, and it was funny to see who would catch it. They'd come up to me and be like, Resident Evil, dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's so cool. But yeah, so in the new game, it's it's kind of it's startling because there's barely any music at all. Well, and so like, yeah, at first I thought, you know, there's barely any music. Um, it's subtle and I like it. Yeah. But then I like jump onto YouTube and then I actively listen to the soundtrack uh-huh. and I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so like at best, I feel like the remake soundtrack is like unobtrusive. At worst, it sounds like some, like, Michael Bay with, like, Skrillex, like, bass drops and shit. <laughs> like, there's some, like, really awful shit in the soundtrack. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, well, and it's funny because I'm simultaneously, I'm playing uh, Breath of the Wild. And that has a really minimal soundtrack, but every time music plays, it's incredible. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. With this game, it's like, it has the same amount of music, probably, where it's, like, not very much, but when it starts playing it's either just there and you can ignore it or you're like oh yeah that's bad that's actually not good but the vintage soundtrack like i mean i'm surprised it works so well in a modern game it works but so it just fucking well. nails it and it, it makes it feel like a like a saturday night fucking popcorn movie yeah and it's so good i love it and, well especially since i love like straight to movie straight to VHS like 90s schlock you know what I mean oh yeah totally I mean I I do too and I was super blown away by how well it worked because like I I turned it on for my second playthrough and I was like I'm gonna enjoy this nostalgic aspect but I think it's gonna be weird and jarring and not work but it totally worked and I was like yeah it does it's great this kind of should have been the default maybe like (laughs) it totally should have been the default like okay i get it i get why you like get rid of like the title screen like resident evil thing but like the soundtrack's just so good yeah 
So another thing, I mean, I guess that's one one thing I can shit on this new one a little bit. I gotta get, I gotta get my shit on here, you know. Um, <laughs> another thing though that I'm totally gonna shit on is that they didn't improve this the differences between the scenarios, and they may have actually made them worse. Totally worse. I hate it. I played through the game like four times, and I like really wanted more shit to follow up. Yeah, there's several plot holes. There's huge plot holes that they introduce with this version. Mostly around Annette Birkin. Well, all, all I'm going to say is that Ben didn't have to die because Ada had that fucking thing the whole time. Yeah. The little the little Batman tool thing. <laughs> oh, God, that thing. Also, that's not even in my notes, but fuck that little Batman tool thing. That's so stupid. Yeah, so in Leon's story... Fucking Capcom. <laughs> zero out of ten. <laughs> you play as Ada, and she has this quote-unquote hacking tool that's literally just like a magic wand that makes stuff start and stop <laughs> and it's so stupid so stupid yeah. i hate it did you get so there's a there's a part where you get locked in an incinerator and you have to use it to escape i got fried the yeah. first time like super deep fried yeah the first time i got fried because it's like a stupid like <laughs> those puzzles are like kid puzzles from like agitational games <laughs> is that what it's called agitation edutainment yeah i like i I like, I like agitation way better. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get my agitation. Yeah. yeah, man. No, it's, it's, it's pretty dumb. I hated those puzzles. I hated every single one of them. And like, it made the Ada scenario like, like significantly less cool because of it. Yeah. Well, and another thing with the puzzles, I was curious because some of the ones in the original game are really doofy and they're just block puzzles. And I was curious yeah. to see if they would cut those and they did cut most of those, but they kept in this stupid fucking chess piece puzzle and they make you do it in. <laughs> I already complained to you about this over Facebook, but like they make you do it in every yeah. scenario and it's so dumb and boring and it's a fetch quest and it just adds like 20, whatever, 20 minutes maybe to each playthrough. And it's like, oh, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, cut this, keep it in the first scenario and cut it from all the others. <laughs> Yeah. But it, it does force you to go through like the scariest part of the sewers and what a right. great area that is that I agree with. Yeah. Well, you're like, because um, like you're so disempowered at the beginning, you're like running past all these John Carpenter, the things. Yeah. And then you go solve that puzzle and your reward for solving the puzzle is a giant fucking flamethrower. So you can deal with those John Carpenter, the things as you run back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you use like a hundred percent of your fucking flamethrower ammo, ammo doing it. But like for that moment, you feel like empowered to kill everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. No, I, I do love that part, but yeah, fuck that chess piece puzzle. It annoyed the piss out of me. If there was a whole list of things that I would have hoped they would have fixed, I think the differences between the scenarios being more balanced and better would be one thing. And they actually just made it worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> It bothers me that like Mr. X dies early in the Claire scenario, but he's like still there in the Leon scenario. Yeah. I wish there was more linking across them. Yeah. Because like, okay. Like when Ada gets stuck in like the trash compactor, like star Wars. Yeah. Um, fucking like in the timeline, what happens? Like Leon lets her out. And then 10 minutes later, the little girl gets stuck in there. Like, <laughs> And then, like, Annette has to explain herself, like, twice 
Like it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like they meant the B scenario to replace the end of the A scenario rather than it running concurrently. That's the only explanation I can personally come up with. It kind of feels like a ROM hack or something like a Zelda ROM hack where they move all the items around. <laughs> yes, it's definitely the Resident Evil 2 Master Quest. Um, 100%. <laughs> exactly. I also one one other thing that I it's in my notes just in all caps as dongle um, because I was like <laughs> they couldn't fucking think of enough dumb things for you to collect and stick into keyholes so they were like oh yeah USB dongle and I was like oh my yeah God. for sure and in 1998 the dongle wasn't really a ubiquitous thing yet I mean very rare to find a USB dongle. My life as an audio engineer who works in like a bunch of different rooms, my life is like dongle hell. So like I can say that in 1998, it was not dongle hell. Another word I have in all caps in my notes is just burger. And I don't even know if I have to say anything more than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, what is this burger thing? Okay. So in the PS1 era, there were a lot of video games with FMV cutscenes that had terrible direction like really bad direction my two favorite examples i'm familiar yeah <laughs> i know you are and my two favorite examples are number one is the ending of final fantasy 7 which just like kind of farts into the the end of the game you know <laughs> it's just like what like it just ends and i think it's supposed to be yeah. dr- dramatic but it's just poorly directed and so you're just like i just play this game for 200 hours and then that's what i get like fuck you but <laughs> the other best one is the beginning of Resident Evil 2, the original, because it literally just starts and it's almost like you turned on the TV 15 minutes into a shitty USA original <laughs> zombie movie. It's this guy just going, why'd he bite me? And then he crashes his car. <laughs> yeah. And so I was actually wondering about that where I was like, in this new one, are they going to fix that? Because it's terrible. And oh, yeah, they did. They, burger. they fixed it, but the way they fixed it is to open the game with just a shot of a fucking ultra detailed CGI burger. <laughs> it reminds me of the beginning of like Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, totally. God, <laughs> but it's just, it looks so gross. It's, it's a great burger. <laughs> yeah. And the dude's like chewing it and he's like chewing it all loud. Yeah, it's really funny. Like, it's just so it just like right away started with a laugh, which I was like, you know what? Good job, guys. Yeah. It also highlights how fucking great the face models are. Yeah, exactly. And the writing, because he he goes, sounds Sounds like like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It's just like right away. It's like, yep, you're still here, asshole. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. it's still 1998 somewhere. You fuck. And the game ends with a trucker, too, with like another stupid moment. Oh, yeah. That whole that whole (laughs) ending is pretty like USA original movie. Yeah. What uh, Sherry's like. So you guys are like my parents now, right? (laughs) And they're kind of like politely like, hell no, motherfucker. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a classic. Um, I mean, yeah, (laughs) that kid was like really defusing the sexual tension there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Or just making sure it never, ever, ever happened for anyone, which is also a cool thing to do if you're like 11, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah that inning was awful <laughs> in retrospect. Well, and maybe maybe it's time to to wend our way towards our own awful ending um, of this this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, maybe maybe. Yeah. Should we, should we pick up some kid on the side of the road and walk off into the sunset or what? Well, you know, some people listening might not know what we look like, but let me just say that that totally would not work for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's like a, a, a swarthy, a swarthy foreigner <laughs> and a Texan just fucking walking down the street. Even if that was our child, that wouldn't work for us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, especially not in Texas. Uh, especially not in Minneapolis, man. We got crazy cops, dude. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I, I shouldn't like laugh. That's always a funny thing. Well, and so I guess if you're, if you're listening and you don't know this, uh, James and I know each other from playing in bands and uh, James coming through on tour. And I've definitely told this to you, but it's always the thing I tell people who come through on tour where it's like, they're like, oh, like Minnesota, it's all liberal and shit. And it's like, "Mm, well, kind of, but our cops are insane. Like (laughs) our cops are straight out of fucking some like a shitty PS1 game and they're insane. Um, So you got to (laughs) watch, got to watch your ass. They're like the cops in Minneapolis are like the bad guys in smash TV. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, dude. Just bullets everywhere. Oh, uh, yep. That's, that's a depressingly accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fuck the police, but definitely fuck the Minneapolis police. That's everyone in Texas. I mean, I'm, I'm like literally the only Texan without a gun. Yeah. I was talking to someone about that and I was like, about how I've had a lot of guns pulled on me. And it was like, a lot of that was living in the South when I was a kid. Um, yeah. And Texas and, you know, Kentucky. Uh, and only a little bit of that was from going to the Middle East. So that's kind of fun. I would assume, like, most Texans have had a gun pulled on them by their immediate family at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. It's just a rite of passage. Yeah. I mean, are you even a Texan if that hasn't happened to you? Like, right. now there's only one way I can deal with this here problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's like the uh, the Texan bar mitzvah. I mean, you, like, turn, like, 13 and your dad pulls a shotgun on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the peanut bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that's called. Uh, shit. Yeah.